I pray that today the message will be a blessing to you. I'm preaching to you this morning uh, from Luke chapter 17. If you have your Bible, you can go ahead and find your place there in Luke 17. I want to talk to you this morning about a prophetic issue as we are continuing in our series, End Times Super Trends. I want to preach to you this morning about the days of Lot. Dr. Stephen Collins may not be a household name, but in the world of archaeology, he's Indiana Jones. You see, for the past 15 years, Dr. Collins has been excavating one of the greatest archaeological discoveries of all time, and that is the city of Sodom. There's the headline from the Independent. Biblical city of Sodom found in Jordan. Now, for decades, the historians doubted the biblical account of Sodom and Gomorrah, some argued that Sodom was a myth. Other skeptics said that if Sodom ever existed, there's no way that it could be found because most likely it would be laying at the bottom of the Dead Sea. But all that changed as Dr. Collins began studying the book of Genesis where inside he discovered 25 geographical clues to point to Sodom's location. And using the Bible as his guide, Collins started searching for what might remain of Sodom. And in 2013, Dr. Collins and his team made significant discoveries in a place called the Valley of Tel el Hammam, which is in the northeast of the Dead Sea in modern-day Jordan. What did they find there? Well, they found ruins dating back some 3,700 years of a once-thriving city. Dr. Collins unearthed charred human remains. The city gates that the Bible mentions in the Genesis account. They found structures that were destroyed by some great impact. They found layers of shocked quartz, which, listen to this, is sand that has been forged into glass by extreme heat. They found pottery shards, iron and metal fragments that had been melted together in temperatures over 3,600 degrees Fahrenheit, which is about the equivalent of volcanic magma. And moreover, they sampled the soil around the site and found that it had been permeated with salt, and listen to this, rare earth metals that had only been found in meteorites. Today, the consensus is that Dr. Collins has indeed unearthed the ruins of biblical Sodom. In fact, scientists have theorized what might have caused the sudden destruction was actually a meteor which they say broke up as it entered Earth's atmosphere and caused what they term an airburst. The meteor fragments then released, they say, the energy of 1,000 atomic bombs impacted Sodom and the surrounding area and literally wiped it off the map. Once again, modern man has finally caught up with what the Bible declared a long time ago. <laughs> Now, the story of Sodom is familiar to those who know their Bible. It's a sin city that is remembered for its reputation of being a wretched hive of scum and villainy. It's also an example of God's wrath. And in Luke 17, we find that in a prophetic message there, Jesus mentioned Sodom in relationship to his second coming. In fact, he cites there that the world's spiritual and cultural condition would be reminiscent of Sodom just prior to his return. Let's read the text together. Luke 17, starting 
down in verse 28. It says, Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. Verse 30, So it will be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Now, the Sodom of old may be a charcoal spot somewhere in the Jordanian desert, but in a very real sense, I believe that we are seeing the spirit of Sodom alive today. And in this message, we're going to explore exactly what did Jesus mean when he referenced the days of Lot. How is that an end time sign? And what ought we to do as God's people as we see our nation slouching towards Sodom even at this very hour. Well, I want to begin this morning by pointing out to you, number one, the pervasive sin of Sodom. In order to understand what happened to Sodom, you have to put it in context of its great sin and rebellion against God. Now, let me give you a little bit of background here. Sodom was a major metropolis in the days of Abraham. Genesis 13 actually tells us that the city was nestled in a green fertile, well-watered valley. Sodom would have been a place of culture, a place of commerce, comfort, and even cutting-edge technology. In fact, Sodom was such a boon town that it attracted Abraham's nephew, Lot, to move his flocks, and eventually he lived inside the city. In fact, when Genesis 19 opens, we see that Lot has moved into the city and he has become so ingrained in that culture that he is now sitting on the city council making decisions about the direction of that people. Now, for all the conveniences that came from living in a big city like Sodom, Lot tolerated a culture that, let's just be frank, according to the Bible, was morally unhinged and sexually unrestricted. In fact, in Genesis 13, 13, we have this indictment here. In the text it says that now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. And the Bible says that Sodom's sin was so heinous that God informed his man Abraham that he had plans to judge it. And sprinkled throughout the Bible, not just in Genesis or uh, even in the New Testament verse of Luke that we read, but all throughout the Bible we see that the sins of Sodom are aired out like dirty laundry. In fact, and let me give you just a brief overview of the sins which plague Sodom. And I want you to see how closely they parallel the sins of America today. Well, first off, there was self-centered pride. There was self-centered pride. The prophet Ezekiel, in a couple of verses, in Ezekiel 16, spoke of Sodom's pride. Look at what he said there. Verse 49 of Ezekiel 16, Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom, she and her daughters had pride, excess of food, and prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and the needy. Verse 50, so they were haughty and did an abomination before me, so I removed them when I saw it. Oh, friend, pride is probably going to be the sin that sends more people to hell than anything else. More than addiction, more than sexual immorality, uh, more... Uh, than materialism, because pride is the, the sin which caused Satan to fall from Lucifer to become Satan the devil. 
Pride is that essential sin that leads to every other sin. In fact, it's the complete anti-God state of mind. It's one of the sins that God says that He hates uh, because pride is an affront to the very heart of who God is. And there's no doubt, as we see our country today, America is rife with pride. And the essence of a prideful nation is this. When a nation comes to the point where it says, God, we don't need you anymore. God, we're smarter than you. God, we've got a better idea of what can make us thrive and what can make our government work better and what can help our economy and what can help us progress, quote-unquote, as a people. When you unhitch yourself from the Word of God, uh, friend, you sign up for the wrath of God. That's where we are in America. Now, in fact, many of our politicians and pundits seem to think that America can be great without God. In 2020, one of the CNN anchors, a man named Chris Cuomo, listen to what he told the nation, millions of people who are watching. He told people we don't need God. Here's what he said. He said, quote, If you believe in one another, and if you do the right thing for yourself and your community, things will get better in this country. Listen to what he said. You don't need help from above. It is within us. In other words, we don't need the help of God. We don't need to repent. We don't need to pray. We don't need to seek His face because we're smart enough, we're good enough, and we can figure it out on our own. Well, friend, let me ask you something. In 2021, how's that working out for you? My, my. It's not just in our media. Earlier this year, as the House of Representatives was debating the controversial Equality Act, which would pass a lot of pro-LBGT legislation, a representative named Jerry Nadler, a Democrat from New York, pushed against uh, another representative, Greg Stube from Florida. Stube was arguing from the Bible against adopting the Equality Act, but he was shot down by Nadler. Here's what Nadler said, Mr. Stube, what any religious tradition describes as God's will is no concern to this Congress. My, my, how far we have fallen. What a stark contrast from what our first president, George Washington, said years ago when he said, it is impossible to govern the world without God and the Bible. Friend, don't you wish you had a president that spoke like that? Who believed like that? I think we would experience a different tone in our country, but we're headed down the same road as Sodom. We're in those days of Lot that Jesus talked about. There was pervasive sin, utmost is self-centered pride. Then there's also in the list there, smug prosperity. Smug prosperity. If you go back to Ezekiel 16, look at what he says there. She and her daughters had pride. Listen to this. Excess of food and prosperous ease, but watch this, did not aid the poor and the needy. So Ezekiel said that many of Sodom's citizens were wealthy, they were comfortable, they had plenty to eat, but they did not care about extending a helping hand. In other words, their riches, their materialism, their blessings had made them cold, had made them calloused, had made them hard-hearted to the plight of others. And the average person who lived in Sodom was morally desensitized. Friend, I think that's where we are today in our country. We say we want to help people, we say we want to give them a hand up, we say that we're for the poor, we're for the disenfranchised. Uh, we say that we're for about fixing the problems of the past. And yet we say it's okay to kill the unborn. 
Friend, if we can't protect the weakest, if we can't protect the most vulnerable, uh, how big of a hypocrite are we to say that we really care? It's interesting that you know, we live in a society that writes and screams about social justice, and yet when the opportunity arises, nobody wants to do anything. Listen to this. Just weeks ago, there was an appalling story. It came out of Philadelphia. Listen to this. Well, here's what happened. A woman was raped on a subway for 40 minutes by an assailant who was later identified as an illegal alien, the article said. But the police say that at least 10 bystanders on the train did nothing to stop the act. Instead, they pulled out their smartphones to record what was going on. But nobody had the courage, nobody had the gall, nobody had the compassion to step in and stop it. That's smug prosperity. And friend, we're a culture that doesn't value life, whether it's inside the womb or out. And sin goes to seed in the soil of apathy. I don't know and I don't care. Ignorance and apathy, that's the spirit of the age. The only thing necessary for evil to triumph is for good men and good women to do nothing. So, there's smug prosperity. There's self-centered pride. And by the way, that's what the culture wants the church to do. To do nothing. They want us to sit down. They want us to shut up. They want us to accept what's coming uh, our way. They don't want us to be the moral conscience in the state. They don't want our voice to be heard. They don't want us to say, hey, wait, we're going down the wrong path. Uh, this isn't God's will. They want the church to be afraid. They want the church to be weak. They've tried to overpower the church. And friend, I'm telling you, there's a little place at 875 Monte Vista Road that's still got a little bit of fight left in it. And as long as I've got power and strength, I'm going to let the world know, hey, thus says the Lord. Thus says the Lord. There was smug prosperity. There was self-centered pride. And then you can't mention Sodom without this next sin, sexual perversion. There's one verse in the little book of Jude that sums up Sodom's sordid story. Jude verse 7. Listen to what the Bible says there. Just as Sodom... And Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, they serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. You say, preacher, that's, that's not politically correct. No, it's not. And I'm not a politically correct kind of preacher. I'm a, trying to be a biblically correct kind of preacher. And the day's soon coming when just reading a statement like that, I think is going to be considered to be hate speech. But friend, that's just the Word of God. Again, America is not much different than Old Testament Sodom, are we? In fact, you remember what Billy Graham said years ago? He said that if God doesn't judge America for her sin, then he would have to apologize to Sodom. Of course, Billy Graham said that years ago in the 1960s, during the Woodstock era, during the Free Love era. If that applied then, how much more does it apply today in 2021? Sexual perversion in our land. Listen to this. Burlington High School in Vermont. This is straight off of the headlines. They decided to do something different this year for their homecoming. Instead of the traditional homecoming court, they opted for a drag queen parade. During halftime of the football game, 30 students and faculty dressed in drag, danced to the gay pride anthem Rainbow Rain, and celebrated the queer lifestyle. Friend, if my child was in that school, I would be pulling them out. Unbelievable. You say, oh, oh, Pastor, that's too harsh. Listen, 
I'm just giving it to you straight the way the Bible portrays it. It's all sin, isn't it? You can put all the sexual immorality, whether it's homosexuality, whether it's pornography, whether it's adultery, no matter what flavor it is, it's all condemned under the Word of God. We all have to do business with that, whatever it looks like. Yes, we preach the truth, but yes, we also preach love. There is a great Savior who wants to rescue you from that sexual immorality, no matter what it looks like. Experts tell us, listen to this, almost one-third of all Internet traffic is porn-related, 30%. You wonder why your Internet is so slow. <laughs> porn sites receive more regular traffic, listen to this, than Netflix, Amazon, and Twitter combined each month. Porn is also a global business, which in 2018 generated $97 billion around the world. That means it's the, one of the fastest growing businesses in the world, and it generates more income than all pro sports combined, NBA, MLB, NFL, NHL, you name it. You combine them all, they don't even come close to the money that pornography generates. And people say, well, I'm not hurting anybody. Yes, but that's somebody's son, that's somebody's daughter on the other end of that screen that they're drooling over. That could be a sex slave of somebody who was kidnapped at a young age and brought into that, and they're a slave to it. I do believe it does hurt people. So don't give me that line. I just don't accept it. Friend, it gets worse. Did you see what Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson North Carolina's lieutenant governor came under fire recently for making a video calling out NC public schools, telling them to remove three LBGT-themed books from the libraries. One book in particular that he mentioned, Gender Queer, shows images depicting sexual fantasies and homosexual acts. Now, I haven't seen the book. I haven't looked at it. I'm just telling you that's what was in the article. Robinson said this, There's no reason anybody anywhere in America should be telling children about any of that filth. Yes, he said, I called it filth. Wow. God help us as a nation to understand the direction that we are heading. Warp speed. And friend, the days of just staying silent and staying agreeable and staying within the four walls, that's, that's long gone now. Because, friend, it's looking like Sodom more and more every day. Just let that sink in. That the sin that once slunk down the dark alleys is now paraded down Main Street and celebrated. And if you aren't on board with it, you're some kind of bigot or hater. I want you to know, I don't hate anybody. I can love the sinner and not agree with the lifestyle. I can tell them, hey, God loves you, and Jesus died for you, uh, but there is another way to live. There's a better way to live, and God would have you to come and repent and trust in Jesus Christ and clean up your life and live the way of God's design, not man's design. Now, I don't think it's a question of whether we're under God's judgment anymore in this country. Do you? According to Romans 1, the Bible says that one aspect of God's passive judgment on a nation is when they adopt a quote-unquote depraved mind. That's when you don't know right from wrong anymore. That's when black is white and white is black and everything's reversed, up is down. You call good evil and evil good. And when that happens, God allows the corrupting effect of sin to gradually erode and implode a nation. And it's only by the mercy of God. It's only by the grace of God that we haven't received what's coming to us yet, but I'm telling you, friends, there is a payday 
Someday, God said, my spirit will not always strive with man. He said, there is a holy God. There is a righteous God. There is a God of judgment and wrath. And friend, we do need to fear that God because He's real. He's righteous. He's on the throne. And friend, the Bible says it is a terrible thing to land in the hands of a living God. We don't hear preaching like that much anymore, do we? It's all kumbaya and love and rainbows and, and, and let's just hug each other as we go to hell. But I'm telling you, the God of Sodom is still the God of today. The God who judged that city and the God who shows great mercy and grace by having His Son crucified on that cross. Please, I, don't, don't take me wrong. I'm not full of hate today. I'm not angry at anybody but I am passionate. I am burdened for my country because I see the direction that we're going and I want us to turn back. That's the pervasive sin of Sodom. You say, well, what can I do about it, preacher? I'm just a nobody. I'm just a regular, average churchgoer. I don't have a ministry. I'm not a singer. I'm not a preacher. Well, what can I do? Well, you can do what Abraham did. That's what I want you to see today. Number two, the praying saint and Sodom. The pervasive sin of Sodom and the praying saint of Sodom. Now before God let the fire fall, you have one of the most intimate scenes of intercessory prayer in the Bible as Abraham pleads with God to spare Sodom for the sake of the righteous. Abraham and God in Genesis 18, they have this back and forth where Abraham asked God if he would spare the city if there were just ten righteous people in the city, God, would you spare it? And yet, at the end of their discussion, God knew there really wasn't even ten righteous people left in the city. But look at what the Bible says in Genesis 18, starting in verse 22. So the men turned from there and went towards Sodom, but Abraham still stood before the Lord. And then Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there were fifty righteous within the city. Will you sweep them away? Uh, the place and will not spare the 50 for the righteous who are in it. And then the Bible continues, for, Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be it from you, shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? Verse 26, And the Lord said, If I find at Sodom 50 righteous people in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Now notice, friends, it starts with 50, and they count down to 20, and then they get to 10. That's where Abraham and God leave their meeting there. But God knew that there weren't even 10 righteous people left in the city of Sodom. And nonetheless, he allows Abraham to mediate, to intercede. Now keep in mind, prayer doesn't change God's plan. But oftentimes it changes me, doesn't it? It fixes what's wrong with me. God had an agenda. God had a holy, righteous standard to uphold. And even though Abraham's prayers may not have reversed that, it did reveal some things in the heart of Abraham about the character of the God whom he walked with. You see, God deepened Abraham's understanding of divine justice and mercy. Just like a doctor who had to amputate a cancer-ridden organ to save a life, God had let the sin of Sodom fester to the point that their wickedness needed a dramatic surgery or else it would spread from that city to the rest of the region and then around the world. And thus Abraham learned that God's justice had come at the end of a very patient and very merciful period of time. 
In fact, if you keep reading here, you understand this is a great challenge to us as God's people. You say, what can we do if we're living in Sodom? If we see the days of Lot upon us, what can I do? Well, friend, you can be like Abraham and you can become an intercessory prayer warrior. It's been said that intercessory prayer is loving your neighbor on your knees. Friend, let me ask you a question. There's What great work could we do for a wicked and lost culture than to take them before the throne of God and pray for a spiritual awakening? What greater labor is there for you and me as a child of God to pray for this sin sick, for this lost, for this dark world, for our family, for our neighbors, for those whom God has burdened our heart with? What greater work can we take up than to pray that God would save them, that they'd send Holy Spirit conviction, that He'd touch the hard heart, that He'd open blind eyes, that He'd break the chains of addiction. Oh, friend, don't think I can't do anything. Abraham got on his face before God and started to beg for the lives of the people of Sodom, even though they were wicked, even though they were good for nothing, even though they deserved the judgment of God. Abraham recognized who he was in the light of who God was, He said, I'm no better than they are. I'm only a product of the grace and the mercy of God. And he pled for the sinner because the sinner didn't have enough wherewithal to plead for themselves. And I'm asking you today, are there a few saints who still believe in the power of prayer? Is there anybody here who say, I'll do some knee work, pastor. I'll pray for my government. I'll pray for my leaders. I'll pray for my preacher and my church and my nation that God would send a spiritual earthquake to this country and wake us up from the slumber that we are in and help us to realize that the hour is late and the need is great, but God is merciful and God's on the throne and it ain't over till God says it's over. I wonder, is anybody today like Abraham who say, God, would you spare us one more day? Would you spare us one more year? God, would you do something with us? Oh, it ain't glamorous work though, is it? You get in a prayer room, you close the door, you cry out to God, there's tears, there's groanings and mutterings with nobody can understand except the Holy Spirit. Hey, tears are a language that the Holy Spirit can understand, isn't it? God knows what your burden is. God knows what your plight is. I'm wondering today, is there anybody who would say, Pastor, you know, I had not been praying like I should. I'm not burdened like I used to be. I've given up on that prodigal son or daughter or that person who I think is too far from rescue. Hey, I've been there before. But I want you to know that God is still a God of mercy today. It wasn't glamorous work. Hey, nobody signed up to do this except Abraham. Abraham was the one who said, I, but God, let's, let, let's look at this a little bit more in depth. Abraham was the one who got a hold of the horns of the altar. I'm telling you, you plan a, a, an eating, you plan a meal, you plan a worship service, people will show up. But you say, hey, we're going to have prayer, you might get three or four. Where's our heart for prayer, people? Where's the need of the hour? You think it's going to be accomplished by more money or my intelligence or the leadership of this church or Brother Stacy, even though all those gifts that God has given us is good? You know what's going to move the trajectory of this world? It's going to be the power of prayer. It's going to be people getting down on their face and saying, God, I can't do it. God, I don't have the resources. God, I don't have the answer. But you do. 
and God will start to begin to move. He'll begin to move pieces. He'll begin to change hearts. He'll begin to do things in your life and my life that you couldn't move, mountains that you couldn't move, doors that you couldn't open, things that you've fought and prayed for and thought that it's done. God will begin to move things in your life. It wasn't glamorous work. I don't even think old Lot knew at the end of the day when he was rescued from the city that the reason he got pulled out of that city was because Abraham prayed for him. I don't even think Lot realized it. The Bible doesn't put any light on it, but I'm wondering today, how many of you were pulled out of the fire because somebody prayed for you? How many of you was rescued from your own mess because of some praying mama, some praying daddy, some praying Sunday school a teacher or deacon who said, I'm not giving up. The fight's not over yet. Devil, you don't get the last word. I'm wondering today how many of you was pulled out of the fire like Lot because somebody believed in the power of prayer and somebody wouldn't give up on your soul. It's not glamorous. And no, you often don't see the blessing of it. No, you're not going to get a badge of honor. But I'm telling you, those who pray see God do things. Abraham prayed. Friend, one of America's greatest gospel preachers of the Second Great Awakening was a man named Charles Finney. There's his picture. In 1824, Charles Finney received a letter from an old man begging him to visit his little village in upstate New York. Finney said that the town was exceedingly difficult to find because of its remoteness. You've got to remember, this is 1824. No roads, no interstates. No internet, no phone. Just horse and buggy. He did not even know the name of the town until he arrived there. And then when he got there, he noticed the sign. What do you think the name of the city was? Sodom. No joke. Sodom, New York. It got the title because of the wickedness of its citizens. The town had no church. So here's what Charles Finney did. They had a one-room schoolhouse. And almost the entire village packed into that little one-room schoolhouse. On the first night of the service, guess where Charles Finney preached from? He turned to the book of Genesis chapter 18 and 19, and he started preaching on the destruction of Sodom. <laughs> Listen to what happened. Eyewitnesses said that the Spirit of God fell with such power that people became prostrate, and they cried out to God that He would save them before it was too late. Finney got up and he urged them. He said, friends, you're not in hellfire yet. Now, let me point you to Jesus Christ. And the record of history says that revival broke out in Sodom, New York. And the whole village turned to Jesus Christ. And friend, the, the credit, Finney said, don't give me the credit. He said, the credit should go to the little old man who sent me a letter who was praying for his town and said, Mr. Finney, will you please come preach to my generation? Friend, listen to me today. If my country's going down, if this truly is Sodom, let me be found holding on to the horns of the altar. If my country truly is imploding, if it is falling apart, by God, let me be at the church house screaming from the rooftop, there's still a great Savior. His name is Jesus. Hey, if it is truly falling apart, let the world know that I'm going to be found at my station. I'm going to be busy doing the Lord's work. I'm going to be pleading and reaching for one more soul because I don't know when the hour might come, but my Bible is real and my God says He is a holy God. See, friend, I still believe. 
I still believe that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all may come into repentance. I believe that Abraham prayed and Lot was saved. I believe that Stephen prayed and Saul became Paul. I believe that Jesus prayed and Peter returned back to the disciples. Thank God for bent knees. Thank God for tear-stained faces of holy saints who prayed and prayed and prayed even when they didn't see the answer, even when it felt like the heavens was turned to brass. Thank God that there was somebody who had a burden for Derek McCarson. Thank God there's somebody that's got a burden for this preacher and this church. Church, where are we today? Do we have a burden for Sodom around us? Do we have a burden for Buncombe County and Asheville and North Carolina and these United States? When was the last time you got down with tears streaming down your face and said, God, you've got to pull us back. God, you've got to save us. God, you've got to save my babies and save my school and, and, and save this community, Lord, because we're eating up with drug addiction. we got unbelief. We've got divorce. God, we've got about every problem you can imagine. And if God, if you don't fix it, oh, God, there'll be no answer to it. Friend, where's our burden today for Sodom? Where's our burden for revival in the church? Dark times aren't coming. I think the dark days are already here. I don't think the economy's going to help us. I don't think there's answers coming from the White House. I don't think the media has a clue what's really going on. But you know, there was one man who did know what was about to befall the city of Sodom. It was Abraham. You know why? Because he walked with God. He had an intimate relationship. He had an understanding with God that nobody else had. And I'm telling you, if you have any gumption of the Holy Spirit living within you, you can see the signs of the time. You can understand who's really behind all of this deception, all of this destruction, much of it intentional in our country. It's satanic. And we've got to put on the whole armor of God and do battle for our church, do battle for our family, do battle for our spouse, do battle for our prodigal sons and daughters. Because, friend, I don't like to see the enemy win. I want to stand on the mountain of victory one day and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. My, my. So we see the pervasive sin of Sodom. And then we note, number two, the praying saint in Sodom, but I'm almost done. Number three, the prophetic sign of Sodom. You say, preacher, all right, I know I need to pray. But what does all this mean? Here's what it means. Remember what Jesus said in Luke 17, 28 through 30? Let's read it again. As it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. So it will be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. What happened in Sodom is a foreshadowing of what the Bible says will happen in the last days. There's three ways that Sodom is a prophetic picture of what to expect. Here they are, real quick. God's people should expect disinterest from the world. Not only was Sodom extremely wicked, but they were spiritually apathetic. They didn't really care. And yet Jesus said in Luke 17, it's going to be a business-as-usual approach right up until the return of Christ. Buying, selling, drinking, Giving in marriage and so on, just business as usual. Expect disinterest from the world. That right up to the last minute, God sent His angels into Sodom to get Lot and his family out. 
And there wasn't anybody else that followed with them. Most of them were disinterested in the message. And friend, we ought to expect many to remain skeptical. Many to remain hard-hearted. Many to place labels on us that aren't true. Even as we try to tell them of the mercy and the grace of God that there's a storm coming, but there's a way out. His name is Jesus. But, <laughs> but some will believe. Hey, some will believe. Just a few. I'm gullible. If God can use me to get one or two here or there, then God sign me up and use me. God's people should expect disinterest from the world. But then look at this. God's people should expect deliverance out of this world. Don't be discouraged. There is hope here. Lot, the Bible says, was removed from Sodom before the fire and the brimstone rained down. In fact, 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 6-9, through 9, they say this. If God rescued righteous Lot, then, verse 9 says, the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. Friend, this is a picture of what's going to happen at the rapture. When the Lord Jesus Christ returns and comes from the church, just as Lot is taken out of Sodom before the wrath of God falls on the city, the church, backslid though she may be, will be removed from the earth before the tribulation hour. Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 1.10 and 5.9 that we are not destined for wrath. So friend, yes, they may be disinterested in the message, but I know that my God's word is true. He says a day is coming where the trumpet will be blown, the cry of command will be given, and the church will be up, up out, of, out of the way. And friend, then the world will see. Oh my gosh, those crazy Christians. Oh my goodness, those Bible-thumping Baptists. They were right about that. You see, friend, we should expect disinterest from the world and deliverance out of this world. But then thirdly, I want you to see this today. As I close, God's people should expect the destruction of this world. If you keep reading... Drop down in Luke 17 to verse 32. Jesus gives one little verse here of admonition. Look at what he says. Remember Lot's wife. You see that? You say, what happened to Lot's wife? Well, if you go back to Genesis 19 and you read the story, as the fire is falling and as they're fleeing from the city, Lot and Miss Lot are running. Miss Lot turns around as she sees the destruction of the city and the Bible says that God judged her right then and there she turned into a pillar of salt. You say, preacher, I don't really understand that. Well, join the club. I don't either, but it's in the Bible and I believe it. You say, what happened there is Miss Lot is a picture of the danger of having a divided heart. Her affections were still tied to this earth. Ultimately, she was out of Sodom, but it couldn't get Sodom out of her. She still loved that place. She still loved her belongings in that place, her station in that place, her comfort, her position in that town. And friend, I'm telling you, there's some of you today who are riding the fence. You haven't really decided yet whether you're all in with Jesus or whether you're just going to kind of play games. And friend, I'm telling you, there is no halfway with Jesus Christ. There is no halfway following Christ. There is no lukewarm Christianity. You can't put your hand to the plow and then turn back and look. No, you have to be all in. Jesus said, remember Lot's wife and friend. Look what happened in Lot, to Lot's family. Lot's family was divided right there. He lost his wife. He lost two sons-in-laws. He and his daughters got out. 
But look at all that the man lost. You know, there's a dividing that's going to be coming to the families of this world one day. It's the return of Jesus Christ. And when he comes and he takes true believers out of this world, there's some marriages that are going to be split. There's some relationships between adult children and adult parents that's going to be severed because the believers are going to go up and be with the Lord and those who don't accept Christ are going to be left to deal with the destruction of the world. Now think about this. Everything that Lot worked for, his business, his riches, his relationships, his stately position at the gate of the city, everything that Lot invested in was gone in a day. And you know what the message is to you and me? Make sure you're investing in the right side of things. The Bible says, don't love the world or the things of the world for the things of the world, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes and the pride of life are passing away. But he who does the will of the Lord shall live forever. You see, friend, we got to decide where are we going to invest in this world? Are we going to be like Lot and have all our treasure and all our trinkets and all of our attachments here on this world? Or are we going to think about things above? We're going to invest in the next kingdom because i got news for you. Everything down here is going to be singed. Lot may have got out of the city. He was saved, but he was singed. And he lost it all in one day. And friend, I don't want to be heading away from my treasure. I want to be heading toward my treasure. I want to be going to the place where Jesus says the thieves can't get in and the moss and rough can't corrupt them and can't get to them. Make sure you're invested in the right place. My, my, what a passage it's given us something to think about here today. I want to leave you with hope. You know, God loves the sexually immoral. You believe that? He does. Jesus died for them. Just as he died for me and all sinners. Christ proved his love for all sinners when he gave his life on that old tree so that they might be forgiven. That's agape love and it's still calling to folks who are in Sodom today. I want you to hear this. Listen very carefully. In October of the 2021 Decision Magazine, there was a story about this lady, Kathy Duncan. Listen to her story. As a young girl, Kathy felt a strong desire to become a boy. But that desire grew increasingly stronger as she grew older and experienced severe abuse and family dysfunction. She began living a double life, pretending to be male around those who didn't know her. And when she moved away from her home at age 19, she initiated male hormone therapy and fully identified as a man named Keith. Sound familiar? She lived as a man, quote unquote, for nearly 12 years, during which she turned to substance abuse and pornography to dull the pain. But what happened to Kathy? Listen to this. Kathy or Keith even joined a church in Vancouver, Washington. She sang in the choir. In fact, she had the church convinced that she was Keith. Then one day after a church service, Kathy was so convicted over her double life that she went with the pastor and confessed her double identity. She said this in the article. She said, quote, It was simultaneously the most humiliating moment and the most freeing moment of my life. She admitted, I was playing a game, but I couldn't fool God. 
She repented of her sins, trusted in Jesus Christ, and has spent the last five and a half years in therapy going back to her original female identity. Today, she has her own ministry where she helps women dealing in sexual abuse. And here's what she wrote in that article. Listen to these words. She said, the devil wants the world to think such radical changes aren't possible. That I am the way that I am and I can't change. But she said, listen to this, I am proof that with Jesus anything is possible. And from now on, she said, when Christ calls me, whether he calls me home or returns, I will tell of his marvelous works in my life Help others find the amazing transformation that I found in Him. Friend, that's the message today. Yes, He's a God of wrath and a God of justice, but He's also a God of life change and a God of transformation and a God of hope and grace and mercy. And friend, I don't know what your life is like. I, don't, I can't see in the deep, dark recesses, but God can. And God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. And He loves you. And He wants to make a difference in your life. No matter what flavor or what shape your sin may look like, it's all sin. But I know a man. <laughs> I know a man who said on the cross, It is finished. And he walked out of the tomb to prove just how great of a Savior he was. Hey, you know him today? My, my, we've got a lot to think about. We've got a lot to pray about, a lot of pleading to do for our Sodom. And as our musicians are coming, this invitation is going to be open for anybody who needs prayer, for anybody who's burdened, just as Abraham was burdened, for anybody who needs salvation today. Hey, young person, what about it? Are you living for the Lord? What about it, older folks? Are you living for the Lord? Jesus is coming back. I believe it so much. And I want you to have that same hope that I have in my heart. If you don't already, 